you guys can be seated. We've all had uh, church experiences. Uh, for some of us, it's been a lot of church experience. <clears throat> for others of us, it's been a little bit of church experience. I mean, even if this is your first time ever coming to a church, you've got like 30 minutes of experience under your belt already, right? We have some history with church, and, and for some of us, like I said, it's been a lot. For others, it's been a little. For some of us, maybe it was church at one time, and then we were out of church, and then we were back in church, and then we were back out of church, and maybe we're testing the waters again. For, for some of us, the experience was really, really positive and healthy and nurturing, and we had great role models to look to, and, and it, it shaped our, our worldview and certainly shaped our spiritual life. For others of us, our church experience, we look back on, and it wasn't healthy and nurturing, and there are a lot of negatives that we can point to. I, I would bet for most of us, it's probably been a mix of those. We, we look back at our church experience and say, yeah, there were some great things that happened, and then there were some not great things that happened in my church experience. But in this series, we're discussing the idea that whatever our experience has been, and, and, and however humans have, have uh, flawed the church itself, the church was God's idea. It, it, it's what he wanted in this world, and, and it was started by Jesus. This was Jesus' idea. It wasn't a bunch of pastors that got together and said, hey, let's do this and get people together, or religious people who got together and said, hey, we should meet on this day, and this is what we should do. It was Jesus. It was his heart and, and his plan to have groups of people all over the world that would extend his kingdom and his plan and his purposes and, and his mission, and, and it wasn't just a plan in his idea, but we discussed a couple of weeks ago, and when Jesus needed a metaphor to describe how he felt about the church, he chose groom and bride. He said, yeah, that's like my bride. That's what I think about. I, I, I love the church. So church is a big deal to Jesus. And, and, and so we're trying to maybe remind ourselves or maybe see for the first time why the church, why the bride of Christ is so important to him. And I want to I jump to Acts chapter 2. Acts is where we go really to, to, to pick up the birth of the New Testament church. After Jesus, where God's people started coming together. Kind of what we do today that really ramps up in the book of Acts. Acts. It's written by a guy named Luke. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he wrote Acts. It's kind of a part one, part two of the early Christian story. And so um, Luke describes for us, kind of summarizes for us what the church was like in those early days. The church kind of came to be, in a, a larger sense, on the day of Pentecost, that's what we call it. This is the day that the Holy Spirit comes fully, completely accessible to everyone into this world. And this isn't a study on the Holy Spirit, so we won't get into all the details there. But the Holy Spirit comes fully, completely accessible. All believers now have access to the Holy Spirit. And on that day, there's 3,000 people come to Jesus. And after they commit their lives to Christ, after they make this step of faith, the first step they take is to join together in, in what becomes the church. They, they, they see the need, the necessity of coming together as God's people. They, they have a realization, look, I can't figure all of this stuff out by myself, nor should I. 
I mean, let's get together and, let, and let's see if we can follow Jesus more closely. And they listened to people who had followed Jesus longer than they had. At that time, people who were eyewitnesses to Jesus, like this person knew Jesus. I want to listen to them because I want to know what Jesus was like and, and what he said. So they, they come together immediately as the church. And, and if you need the message today in a sentence, like if the, if the music was just so overwhelming, you're about to take a nap because it was so good for you, then I want to give it to you just right here, one statement. This is what the message is about today. One of the dominant messages of the church is simply this. We don't have to face anything alone. And that's what we're going to talk about. Is that what we see in the early moments of the church is this constant message. Look, you don't have to go through life by yourself. You don't have to figure out things by yourself. You don't have to face anything alone. Now, we can choose to face things alone. Right? We can choose to do it our way or keep people at a distance or not open our hearts to people or kind of stiff arm groups or, or not be a part of a church. You can choose to face everything alone, but you don't have to. God's created a group, God's created the church so that you and I could experience life in community. We could get help when we need it. And we see this so clearly at the beginning of Acts. Luke, in the book of Acts, he gives several summary statements about the early church. This is kind of what was going on. Not a lot of detail, but just sort of a synopsis. This is what it looked like and felt like to be a part of the church in those early days. He does that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where he writes, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves. I don't want to rush past that word. They devoted themselves. Like they were committed. There was this passionate enthusiasm. There was this passionate commitment that characterized the early church. They weren't logging time on Sunday mornings. They weren't just trying to get through uh, the message. They were committed to one another. And I know commitment's kind of hard to come by these days, not just in church, but kind of in general. We have a commitment aversion. Like we're real careful about signing. We're signing up for something, committing to something. And maybe that's because we've had so many bad experiences with commitment, right? Anybody in a two-year commitment on their cell phone? That's, that's like so healthy and life-giving and nurturing, isn't it? You got a two-year commitment on your cable uh, in your home or your alarm system for everybody wants a, everybody wants a commitment. And, and I think what we've experienced with commitment in those areas is that once you're committed, you're stuck, right? I mean, that's kind of, we sort of label commitment with stuck. Once I commit, then I can't get out of this, and I'm stuck for the next two years, and they don't care about me anymore once I commit. Have you had that experience? Like your two years are up? And you call back and say, you know, I'm thinking about going with a different carrier. And what do they immediately do? They immediately have all of these rebates and sales to give you now that you're no longer. Now, they didn't mention any of that in the two years that you were committed. But now suddenly they got all these great deals that they want to give you. Commitment today feels a lot like being stuck. And so we kind of avoid it. But, But when we read about the early church, they were devoted. They were 
committed. And, and Luke tells us some things they were committed to. But, but I like what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. He borrows this idea of devotion and commitment. He's talking to the church in Rome. So it's another group like us, group of people. And here's, here's, here's uh, Paul's instructions to them in Romans 12, 10. Be devoted, there's that word, to one another, Paul said. Be devoted, committed, passionately, enthusiastically devoted to one another in love. Now, they weren't afraid of commitment. They weren't afraid of signing up, saying, hey, I'm in, I'm all in, I'm going to be a part of this. But what they were committed to, apparently, was each other. When we talk about devotion and commitment in the church, in, in Journey Church, we're not, we're not talking about a commitment to Journey Church as an entity, right? As an organization, uh, uh, as a nonprofit, uh, as an organizational chart. We, we want you to commit to this entity that is Journey Church. Who wants to do that, right? That's, I, I don't want to do that. If I can just be, and I started this place, all right? I, I don't want to commit to Journey Church as an entity. What I want to commit to is you. Like, I want to be devoted to you. I want to be devoted to Jesus first. But what would it be like to, to, to live like the early church did and everybody said, you know what, I'm, I'm just committed to you. I want the best for you. Like, I'm on your side. I'm pulling for you. I'm praying for you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm devoted to you. Listen, I have been in my share of churches where sort of the dominant message of the church was, hey, you got to commit to our vision now. you got to commit to our strategy. Like, this is what our mission is, and you got to commit to that. And I, I totally get there's a place for vision and strategy and mission. I totally get that. I'm just not sure that's what churches ought to be leading with. I think what we ought to be leading with is we're a group of people that will just commit to you. Like, well, we love you. We're devoted to you. We want what's best for you. Not organized, whatever. Not org charred and who's in this position and who's in that position. Paul said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be devoted to Jesus. But when you get together, would you just be devoted to one another? Would you just commit your lives to one another and love one another? Just be devoted to one another. I I remember in the early weeks, and I know that leaves a lot of you out. I'm sorry to do that. A year ago, it wasn't like 10 years ago, it was like a year ago, we were just kind of in that early stage, and I remember those first couple of services we had, we didn't even describe ourselves as a church, but I'd be standing in the lobby, and people would come in, and there was this continual reaction of, I didn't know you were going to be here, you're here, I didn't, I was here last week, but I didn't know you were here, how long have you been here, we're here, it's us now, we're, I didn't know you were here, I haven't seen you in so long, we're here, it's us, we're here, and it was like this great sort of reconnection of you, and you, and you, and I haven't seen you in so long, and yay, you, and us, and we, and, and, and to be fair, I mean, that. There was, there was a couple of times where we all went, and I didn't expect to see you here. But uh, that's, that's kind of a whole other thing. And again, I don't mean to leave you out. If you don't know what that is, just ask somebody who laughed. They know, they know what that is. Um, but there was this recognition of people together. Like, like I, I want to... I want to be together with you. I want to experience life with you. I want to share life with you. How awesome would it be 
as we roll into year two of this little experiment, if we roll into year two and and yeah, we, we've got some more organization and we've got some more strategy and we got, you know, we got some more, we got t-shirts and hoodies and, you know, we got all of, the, we got those little components. But, but what if the, the lead, what if the primary message as people came in to Journey Church was, hey, you're, we're, we're committed to you. If, if you come here, we'll be devoted to you. Um, I, I've got a small group and we meet on Wednesday nights. We're working through Bob Goff's book, uh, Love Does, and this past Wednesday night, we dove into this statement by Bob out of his book. He writes, organizations have programs. People have friends. Friends trump programs every time. Organizations have programs. People have friends. Friends trump programs every time. And I know you got to have some programs, right? I know you got to have some structure. I know you got to have org chart, all that sort of stuff. But, but what if when people came to Journey, when people visited Journey, some of you may be visiting for the first time today, what if, as people stepped in, as they experienced a day at Journey Church, they didn't walk away saying, man, they have a lot of programs. Boy, they're a whole organization thing. They got like a lot of ministries, which is what this is the Christian word for programs, right? They have all of that going up. What if they walked away saying, "Man, they all seem like friends. Like, like they all seemed like they cared about people and they cared about me, even though they don't know me. They, they, it's like they wanted me to come be a friend. Like they wanted me to come be a part. I, I think that's what the early church was like." It wasn't a, a long list of all their programs. It was a, look, we'll just be devoted to you if you come here. We just love you. We, we want to help you be who God has created you to be. And obviously, that doesn't mean we're all going to be BFFs, right? I mean, it's not possible to be BFFs with all of these people. And there's personalities and life experiences kind of shape us more towards one person or another, but what if we could become a church where if you come, you can find a place here. I mean, you can find people that are devoted to you and compassionate towards you. It doesn't mean that we'll be perfect, ever. I am devoted to my wife and my three kids, and they're not perfect. Trust me. They are not. They're devoted to me, right? And I'm close to perfect, but... No, none of us are perfect, right? Nobody in my family's perfect. But their lack of perfection has never changed my devotion to them. My girls, they can blow it, they can mess up. I'm still devoted to them. I still want them to experience the absolute best in life that they can possibly experience. I want them to experience everything God has for their future. I want them to walk close to God and trust God and live in faith. I want to see God do great things in their life. And just because they weren't perfect on Monday doesn't mean I'm no longer wanting all that on, on Tuesday. I'm, com- I'm, I'm devoted to my wife and kids. And, and the church is kind of that way. We won't always get it right. We won't, we won't be perfect But perfection does not mean, a lack of perfection does not mean we can't be devoted, committed, loving, passionately enthusiastic towards each other. In Acts chapter 2, the the word that throughout the New Testament kind of gets attached to church is a Greek word, and we don't throw a lot of Greek words around here, but this one, uh, some of you have heard, it's the word koinonia. 
And, and that word just means common or sharing. It's like to share in common. It's like we're sharing our lives in common. That's what devotion is. We're, we're putting our lives together. We're walking with each other. We're going with each other. And yeah, our church has some structure and organization, but, but we're here to share life in common, experience life together, this koinonia. You don't, you don't have to face anything alone. If the church is who Jesus wanted it to be. So if we don't have to face anything alone, what are some of those things we don't have to face alone? Can't cover all of them. Here's some from, from Acts chapter 2, for example. We don't have to navigate spiritual growth alone if we're, if we're actually being the church, if we're devoted to one another. Luke writes, again, he's summarizing what's going on. He says, they were devoted not just to one another like Paul said. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. In other words, they knew, man, I need to learn more about God. I need to grow in Christ. I, I, I need to figure out who he was and what he wants for me and how that applies to my life and how I start to live that out. And the early church knew, I can't figure that out by myself. I need to be with a group of people who can help me do those things, who can help me grow spiritually. And, and I don't want to overcomplicate spiritual growth, like you got to sit in a classroom or you got to take notes. But I don't want to undercomplicate, which I don't think is a word, but I don't want to do that to spiritual growth either because, let's be honest, there, there are complex things about the Bible. And there, sometimes it's difficult to know how do I get principles out of the Bible and apply it to 2016 when there's so much about 2016 that's not like Bible times. And how do I make that bridge without doing an injustice to the Scripture or doing an injustice to what I'm experiencing right now? Jesus established the church so that none of us had to navigate that by ourselves. That we could have other believers to help us. That's why we teach the Bible on Sunday mornings. That's why our children's ministry teaches the Bible to your kids while they're in children's ministry. And on Wednesday night and Sunday morning. That's why our student ministry encourages our teenagers. Read God's word. Study God's word. Here's what God's word has to say. That's why we do small groups. Because we don't want anybody trying to navigate spiritual growth and getting to a dead end and not knowing how to maneuver around it. The, the other thing that spiritual growth in community does is it, it keeps our, our perspective and our worldview from being shaped more by our culture than by God's Word. Right? Because even for me... There are times I can have thoughts and I think, man, that's an awesome thought, right? That's a great thought about God. And then I test it a little bit and I realize, no, that's kind of not the right thing. I, I, I need people that I can bounce things off of and say, hey, is this right? When I read this, is that what he's saying? Well, I read this book of the Bible and I'm struggling with it. Can, can you help me? In the early church, in the church, as Jesus wanted it to be, no one had to navigate spiritual growth alone. Another thing they didn't have to navigate, we don't have to face struggles alone. There's spiritual growth, but we don't have to face struggles alone. Listen to verses 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. That's the word koinonia, by the way. They shared they sold property and possessions to give to anyone 
who had need. Again, Luke's just summarizing. This is one, one place he picks out to, to demonstrate what it was like in the church. And Luke says, everybody cared about what was going on in everybody else's life. Like you, you never had to face a struggle alone in the church because the church became a community that would surround you and would walk through difficult times with you. Now, let me make just a couple of comments about this idea. Luke wasn't saying that everybody sold everything they had and they put it in one bank account and they all lived out of that bank account. That's not what he's saying. Uh, Luke is not saying that every Christian for the rest of time should sell all their possessions and and give it away or pool it together and live out of common fund. That's not what he's saying. We, We know in the rest of the New Testament that there were believers that owned property and had things that were their own. He's not saying we're supposed to liquidate all of our assets and dump it in the church account and, and, and take care of everybody that way. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 4, verse 34, again, a summary statement from Luke, he writes, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. From time to time. When there, when there was a need, when they felt like God was leading them to do this, then they would respond Nobody had to face their struggles alone. I, I think, really, Luke's trying to draw us into a mindset of, of how to view one another in the church. A couple of things about that mindset. One is, I must care about the needs of others and not just my own needs. And when possible, try to meet those needs. I mean, that, That's what Luke's saying. He's look. You can't just think about you. You can't just be focused on what you've got going. If we're in community, if we're sharing in common, if we're devoted to one another, there's got to be times when I step back and I say, look, who, who else has a need that maybe I can meet? Who, who, who else has something going on in their life that I could step into and that I could help? I could be a part of. I at least have to have that mindset. I at least have to think those thoughts. Another way of saying this. I can't look at anything in my life and say, that's mine, you can't have it. I mean, if I'm a follower of Jesus, engaged in community, then I can't look at what's mine and say, no, that's mine. I, you can't touch it. You can't have it. There's, there's nothing you, you can get that's mine. I worked for it. So, hands off. Instead, I've got to view my possessions with an open hand. Not that I give everything away. It's not that I sell everything I have. But it's that everything that I have in my life, I'm willing to say, God, this doesn't belong to me. This belongs to you. And if you want to use it in some way, I'm going to be okay with that. I'm going to be open to that. I'm going to consider that. It's not mine. Uh, In Acts chapter 4, again, verse 32 Luke writes, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. No one said mine. You can't have it. They said, yeah, this is, this is mine. I bought it. I, I worked for it. But, but if God wants me to use it somehow in somebody else's life, I'm okay with that. I'm not going to walk through life with my hands clenched around stuff. I'm going to allow God to use me and my life in the lives of other people. Now, let's kind of balance that with another mindset, another thought. Just have a practical discussion here. Money doesn't fix everything, right? I mean, money doesn't fix everything. 
As a matter of fact, the needs in some people's lives are not financial. That's not what Luke's saying. He's not, Luke's not saying, like, just give everybody money and they'll all be happy. Money doesn't fix relational breakdowns, I- I- emotional breakdowns. Sometimes what people need is not a $10 bill. They need an hour to sit down with somebody who cares about them, who's devoted to them, who loves them, who wants God's best for them. So when it comes to my time, I can't say mine about that either. I've got to ask God, can you use me in somebody's life to walk with them through a struggle that they're having? And let's be real honest. Money doesn't always fix money issues, does it? Money doesn't always fix money. Because sometimes it's not just I need to make this payment that's the problem. It's I need somebody who cares enough about me who will sit down and do the hard work of helping me budget better and organize my finances and maybe downsize so that I don't keep getting back into this situation. Luke is not saying everybody sell everything you have and just, just give away money. I think what Luke is saying is just be available to help people. Be available to walk through difficult times and struggles with other people. Another thing we don't have to do alone, we don't have to pray alone. We don't have to pray alone. Luke says they were devoted to prayer. And yeah, some of that was individual prayer, people praying by themselves. But it was also the idea of them praying together, collectively. Let's pray for the same thing. I I don't know if you've experienced this, but there's something powerful when you know other people are praying for the same thing I'm praying for. I'm not the only one praying this prayer. I got other people praying, and they're checking on me, and they're texting me, and they're posting on my social media, I'm praying for you. Maybe it doesn't seem like a big deal to you unless you're the one that needs that prayer. And then it's a real big deal deal to know I'm not praying alone. That's one of the reasons we have a prayer ministry here. It's one of the reasons we encourage you to write prayers on the back of the the tear-off card and put it in the bucket when it goes by because every Monday morning there's a group of people that will pray with you and for you. They'll pray the same things that you're praying. You don't have to pray alone. And, And I've got a prayer that I need all of us to start praying over the next couple of weeks and months. I'm going to tell you about that at the end. But I need us as journey, as the people of journey, I need us to join together and to begin praying for something really specific. And I'll talk to you about that at the end. Oh, one more thing. Luke writes in verse 43, <clears throat> Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. What Luke is saying is when God's people got together and they were this kind of church, devoted to one another, praying with one another, helping each other in struggles, loving one another, committed to one another, when that was going on in the early church, incredible things happened. He just calls them signs and wonders. It's like, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. It's like God just did stuff and it was amazing things and we were all amazed and we're standing back and look at what God did in the middle of of us. Here's another good thing about not facing anything alone. We're better together because we get to share the breakthrough moments in each other's lives. I mean, we get to share those I can't believe that happened moments together. 
I get to see that happen in your life, and you get to see that happen in my life, and we get to celebrate marriages that are restored and people that come to faith and are baptized. We get to celebrate the great, awesome things that God is doing in other people's lives. I mentioned about our small group. We're going through Bob Goff's book, and um, at the beginning of the semester, uh, one of our members, a lady named Robin, she comes to the early service Robin said, uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to figure out what God wants for my life. I, I think he really wants me to make a change in my direction uh, in my life, and it's kind of scary, and I'm hoping this book and this discussion will help me know whether I'm supposed to move in that direction or not. So all semester, ever since we've been getting together the past couple of months, Robin's been kind of keeping us informed, and we've been praying with Robin and seeking God for what, Robin, what God wants Robin to do. We were off two weeks ago for spring break, so we come back this week, and Robin can't wait to tell us something. And so we just let Robin go at that point. When Robin's ready to tell us something, we just let Robin go. And so Robin starts telling us that she had felt like the, one of the first steps that she needed to make if she were going to move in this direction was to sell a piece of property that she owned next, next to her house, a, a lot. Um, then, then she told us that there were 10 lots in that subdivision that had been on the market for a year and, and hadn't sold yet. And so she thought, well, we'll see if this is what God wants or not. So she puts it on the market. In three days, she got an offer. And the offer was less than the asking price. So she told her agent, well, Go see if he'll give us the asking price, right? I mean, because, hey, if God's going to do this, God's going to do this, right? So go see if he'll give us everything we're asking. Agent comes back and says, the buyer is going to pay full price and all of the closing cost. Your piece of property is sold. And she's tearing up as she's telling us this story. And we've been praying with Robin for like two and a half months about this particular issue. And she took one step and God did something unbelievable that none of us expected him to do. Shows you where our faith level is. But none of us really expected that. And all of us get to celebrate that. We get to celebrate. God, you did something we didn't expect and we didn't think would happen. We got to be a part of that because we, we live in community. We live in koinonia together. We're, we're in each other's lives. We're devoted to one another. Right? I can tell you, I, I am more devoted to the lives in that group than I was three months ago because we've shared our stories. We've cried together. This, this past week, we, several of us shared about huge losses in our life. Robin celebrates this incredible thing that happened in her life. That is the church. That's the church when we're devoted to one another. Not some vision or strategy or something that we come up with or org chart. When we just love and are committed to Jesus and to each other, wonders will follow. Because that's what God wants to do in his people. God has not changed in the past 2,000 years. And what he did in the book of Acts and what he did in Romans and Philippians and all the early churches that began to spring up and began to advance the gospel and advance the kingdom, he still wants to do today if we'll be devoted to him and we'll be devoted to one another. Let's pray.
God, we ask that you would, you would make us what you want in your church. You'll, you'll make us what you want us to be, devoted to you, devoted to people, people who are here, the people who will come, the people of our community. Help us to love, commit, share our lives in common so that no one has to struggle alone or pray alone or, or grow in their spiritual life alone. Help us to be together, sharing life in common. And yes, we, we need strategies and, and vision and we need structure, but help us to only adopt those things that advance a devotion to you and advance a devotion to people. And if our strategy, strategies and structure and, and vision at some point no longer does that, help us just get rid of that and get a new one that helps us devote our lives to Jesus and devote our lives to one another. That in this place, among these people, us, you would do wonders. Amazing things that we could not even begin to imagine right now just because we devoted our lives to you and we devoted our lives to one another. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.